Hello and welcome to the Football Outsiders Data Show. I am your host, Football Outsiders Assistant Editor Vincent Verhey. Joining me as always is FO Editor-in-Chief Aaron Schatz and uh, key FO contributor Brian Knowles. We are here to talk about facts and figures and stats and numbers and all that sort of thing. But before we do, we have to say a very important word about our friends at Underdog Fantasy. You can play on Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 with a promo code OUTSIDERS. You know, even with NFL best ball season over, Underdog Underdog has other user-friendly game formats to spice up all the games. You can try their Battle Royale, a six-round best ball-style draft with simpler chances to win than traditional daily fantasy sports sites, or try their Pick'em games, where you can wager on players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines, even in states where traditional prop betting currently isn't available. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy site around. You can join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download Underdog in the App Store and use promo code OUTSIDERSNOW to double your first deposit up to $100. With that out of the way, we can go ahead and just jump right into this here. So the most, well, one of the most intriguing things about this NFL season is that we have two teams at 5-1 and one that... Uh, you know, five and one is a great record. You'll take that uh, win, win percentage. But when you look at the numbers and if you just watch them play, they don't actually feel that good. And I'm talking about the New York Giants and the Minnesota Vikings, both five and one, both with a negative DVOA. And uh, Brian, how do you think we kind of got to this point? Uh, it's interesting because both the Giants and Vikings have had a, uh, won a lot of coin flip games this part of the season. They are play, their DVOAs are both about average. I mean, they're negative, but they're like single-digit negative. But they end up – they both have won a lot – they've had a lot of coin flips go, and go their way. The Giants have come back from behind in all five of their wins to this point. The Vikings have come from behind in four of their five wins. So there's a lot of times where the other teams are, are getting in their own way – and the Giants and Vikings are good enough that if other teams are beating themselves, they're more than happy to, uh, you know, take part in that. They're more than happy to take advantage of that, which is incredible for the Giants because we all thought the Giants were going to be a disaster. We thought that we, you know, the worst team in the league or close to it. And they, were, they, they are were way, the first draft pick. Yeah, they are way ahead of schedule. So even if yes. they're not quite as good as a five and one record would uh, would indicate, you know, if they were three and three right now, which is kind of more what the deviation suggests. That'd still be great. That's still fantastic. Uh, I think the Vikings were hoping for a little more when they when they swapped coaches, but they are once again average, like they have been pretty much every year since the 1970s ended. They are an okay, run-of-the-mill, generic brand X football team, and uh, they just happened to get, get lucky a couple times so far. Uh, it's part of this whole mixed-up year, right? First of all, parity. There's more parity than we've ever seen. Right, the standard deviation of DVOA after week six is the lowest it's ever been. There's way more close games than there's ever been this early in the season. There's more teams that are two and four and four and two and three and three. And there aren't really, you know, every team has at least one win and there's only one undefeated team. And it's just a weird year. There's like teams with losing records in our top 10 and teams with winning records near the bottom of the league. And these five and one teams are kind of average. There's only seven teams in DVOA history that have had negative ratings at five and one, and two of them are playing this year. Yeah. So it's just been a really weird season. And people, Giants fans may ask about this because it's sort of interesting. 
they played a one possession game against the Ravens, but it wasn't really a one possession game, right? So uh, Saquon Barkley at the end of the game had the ball and could have got into the end zone and they likely would have won by two scores, right? There's a possibility. The reason he went down was that there's a possibility Baltimore comes back and scores, but probably they don't. And the Giants win by two scores. Um, but if we added that touchdown to the Giants DVOA, it would go up by less than a percentage point. Right. And there was a fumble at the end of the first half where Daniel Jones fumbled on the last play of the half that I didn't count as a fumble. So that kind of the fumble that didn't count sort of neutralizes the touchdown that didn't count. So really either way, the Giants would be negative. At this point, yeah, either yeah, way, you're looking at one play though, one or two plays over six games. So it's a uh, you know the the sample size tells us that more often than not they're playing like a below average team. But yeah, we have a table here of the uh, worst te- worst five and one teams ever by DVOA, and the the number one team is fascinating because it's the 1987 San Diego Chargers, and that was of course the strike year. And I need to clarify that five and one record it does not include the replacement player games. We don't. We just threw those numbers out. So they st- got off to a 5-1 and one start with their actual guys and then never won another game. <laughs> yeah, and e- even weirder, they got off to an 8-1 and one start, including the strike breaker games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the three chargers, as they went on. Lost six straight at the end of the season. Yeah, the defense was, in 87, the defense was playing way over their head for a few weeks in terms of, like, big plays and big turnovers and big moments. And uh, that wasn't sustainable, as it turned out. And uh, old man Dan Fouts could not recover any of the magic down the stretch. But apart from the Chargers, almost all these other, you know, bad 5-1 and one teams still made the playoffs when all of a sudden mm-hmm. done. Because if you start 5-1, and one, you only really need to go 500 the rest of the way to actually make the playoffs. It's, you yeah. know... The, 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 they might be pretty wins, not fantastic wins, but they they all count the same. Exactly. You have, yes. You have a, a couple of teams that got much better in the second half of the season, like the '98 Falcons. Yeah. And then you have the 2003 Panthers, who are the second worst team to ever make a Super Bowl by DVOA. So they're, you know, could the Giants do that? Sure, they could. Probably they won't, but they could. I've been. Um, <laughs> I've been having the Pirates of the Caribbean meme going through my head all week because I was getting these numbers together. It's like, you're the worst five and one team I've ever heard of. Ah, but you have heard of us kind of thing. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're five and one, right? So let's say that they go the rest of the way. Let's say they go five and six the rest of the way. Ten and seven probably makes the playoff. Yeah. Especially if you're Minnesota, given that they have a two game lead in their division right now. Mm-hmm. And the head to head win. Yeah. And the head to head win over the Packers. That's right. Yeah. yeah I think. Obviously, Philadelphia, I think, in the NFC is the, the clear favorite. But as far as just getting into the playoffs, I think we can go ahead and give Minnesota one of those seven slots. I don't, I don't think uh, it would be a pretty big upset at this point for them to miss out. Playoff and, odds uh, simulation has the Giants making the playoffs 60% of the time. And remember, their Dave is still dragged down a little bit by that preseason projection. Mm-hmm. And we have the Vikings making it 89% of the time. Yeah. It feels weird. It feels weird, but with both the Packers and the Rams scuffling, we're probably looking at two of uh, New York, Atlanta, and Seattle making the playoffs. And I would not have had that remotely uh, in play, you know, a month and a half ago. Yeah, no, that's uh, that, those were all big upsets. Um, but hey, that is after all why they play the games. 
and yeah, the m- most of these teams in this table here did end up making the playoffs in some in some form or fashion. The '87 Chargers did not. The 2015 Falcons did not. Started at five and one, fell to eight and eight, and, and fell out. But otherwise, looking at a, looking at a bunch of division champions and a bunch of wild card teams. So, uh, if you're not familiar with the Giants and Vikings, now would be a good time to start. And yeah. uh, looking at what they have done, and we have some notes here on what they have done. Daniel Jones is uh, part of a odd little club. Brian, what can you tell us about? What can you tell us about Daniel Jones and the 10-10 club? Daniel Jones currently uh, has a sack rate of over 10%, which is the highest in his career. And he's averaging less than 10 yards per completion, which is the lowest rate in his year. That is a very weird club to be in. Uh, that's only been done 12 times in StatHeads database, which I think only goes back to the 90s for this particular stat. It's mostly recently done by 2016 bad Jared Goff, and it's mostly done by a bunch of lower quality players and stuff like that. Because it's weird to have a bunch of, you know, short uh, dink and dunk completions and to take a bunch of sacks. Usually if you're taking a sack, you're holding on to the ball to, to, uh, to get right. some deep shots going. Um, so I don't want – Giants fans shouldn't think, oh, we're winning 5-1. and one. Therefore, Daniel Jones is now good. That, that's, that should not be that's, – that's kind of the underlying message. They're not winning because of Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is, I think, playing better this year overall. But I think that's because Brian Dayball has done what he did for Josh Allen originally and has created an offense based out of all the good bits that analytics like. Lots of play action, lots of motion, all these kind of training wheel kind of offensive Mm -hmm. things. And uh, Josh Allen grew out of needing that. I don't think that Daniel Jones is particularly growing out of needing that. But he is showing that he can perform when given these aids and these boosts. So I think Daniel Jones this year has earned himself like a spot in the league going forward as like a useful player. But he's not like, oh, well, we're fine at quarterback now. Let's move on. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be interesting to see what happens after the season because when we were projecting them with the top pick, it was really simple. They'll get a top pick. They'll draft a top quarterback. Now it's like, what do they do with the quarterback position going forward? Like Daniel Jones is definitely not the guy, but they're not going to be in position to pick a new guy. So – Maybe they're a really good home for some veteran who wants to leave his team, but I don't know which veteran that would be at this point. Carson Wentz got to go somewhere. Well, <laughs> I think the veteran switching team thing, that, that candle may have burned out. Uh, the trade market may not be as hot in 2023 as it was in 2022. Um, but yeah, they, they, like you say, it, it's very strange. You know, I, I study sack rates a lot. The average sack rate is somewhere around 6 7 maybe 8%. 7% this year, I think, yeah. Yeah. 10% is high. When, when, once you get to 10%, it starts being a problem. Um, and, and like you say, usually the guys who take a lot of sack, sacks are the same guys who are looking for home runs all the time and they're going for the deep ball. So it's very strange to see a dink and dunk guy take a lot of sacks. And uh, that's an indication that it, another indication this 5-1 record probably is not sustainable. Either, either he's yeah. got to cut down the sacks, he's got to hit more big plays, or they're going to start losing games. There, there, there's a lot of one possession stats about the Giants. They have a little bit of an asterisk because of the whole Saquon Barkley going down thing, but they were the first team this century to overcome double digit second half deficits in three of their first six games. Uh, I went back to 1983 and only found three other teams that started five and one with six one possession games. The 2020 Bears, the 2004 Jets, and the 1988 Saints. And if you want to look for teams that started 5-1 five and one with five one-possession wins, you actually add in the 2019 Saints who went 13-3, and three, but what they ended up having were a lot of wins 
where the other team scored a touchdown with like 15 seconds left to make it a one possession game, but we're never really in it at all. Um, but the Giants are, it's clear that Vegas is smoking whatever DVOA is smoking. Like we know by now that Vegas rates teams with methods that are similar to ours in more, more, more similar than they were when I started doing this 19 years ago. And that's for sure. And the fact that the Jaguars are favored at home, at home, but the fact that the Jaguars at two and four are not only favored over the Giants, but that line has actually moved towards the Jaguars during the week. It started out as Jaguars minus one and a half, and now it's Jaguars minus three. Shows that nobody, I wouldn't even say the Giants are overrated because I don't think anybody is really wrongly rating them except for maybe ESPN's power rankings, which I believe have Minnesota fourth and the Giants fifth, which is wrong. <laughs> it, it, it take it off the gas a little bit there, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there are five teams better than Minnesota. Yeah, Pro Football Reference has Daniel Jones credited with four game-winning drives already. That would have him in the top 10 for 2021. Uh, the leader last year was Ben Roethlisberger with seven. So it's already been a hot start for New York. Yeah, the Giants, the Giants like I said, all five wins have been coming behind wins uh, technically. Uh, the record in the season is 10, and they're already halfway there. So, yeah. yeah. Now, we do have some notes here on teams that started 5-1 with a bunch of close games. Yeah. Uh, the 2020 – and again, with uh, Aaron's noted asterisk about one of their close games wasn't really as close as it sounds. But just to keep things simple, uh, the 2020 Bears, 20, 2004 Jets, and 1988 Saints, they all started 5-1 with uh, one-possession games in all six of those games. And they finished eight and eight, ten and six, and ten and six. So cooled off somewhat. And uh, in case of those those bears especially cooled off a lot. Uh, the 2019 Saints were five and one with five one possession wins. They went thirteen and three. So they were able to carry that uh, close game uh, fortune forward. And then we have two teams that started six and zero oh with five one possession wins. The 2015 Broncos who finished twelve and four, and that was the Super Bowl team, right? The yeah, won the Super Bowl, yep. And the 2000 Vikings, who finished 11 5. And I think they got, that, that's the team that lost to. No, they lost, lost to the Giants, Giants by 9,000 to nothing in the right. NFC Championship. Game. Right. Speaking, oh, no. speaking of the Vikings. Yes. Brian, Brian, tell us a little bit about how the heck the Vikings got to 5 and 1. They seem a little less interesting to us, in part because we didn't predict they'd be the worst team in the league. So we don't look like idiots when we talk about them. Yeah, the Vikings have gotten mostly gotten here mostly by not making mistakes and letting their opponents make mistakes, which is is a recipe for solid football. They are second in the league with a plus four turnover differential. They're the league leaders in net penalty yards at plus one hundred eighty three. I think second place is down at like plus one twenty two. So they're huge leaders in net penalty yards. They have these, and because of because they don't have penalties and because they don't turn the ball over, they have the second best starting field position on offense the fourth best starting field position on defense. They're just not doing kind of mistakes to put themselves in bad situations, which nope, that's all good. Uh, I don't know if, if the penalty yard thing is going to end up being, you know, predictive remotely. They've only got, but they've only gotten flagged holding once, uh, both on the offensive line, I believe. I th- there are, I believe the league leaders in defensive pass interferences called against them. So 
they're playing clean. They're playing, uh, you know, uh, uh, they're not then playing mistake free, and they're more than happy to let the Packers implode and take advantage of that when that happens. How how can the Vikings be leading the league in defensive pass interferences drawn uh, uh, when they have not played Mathis? Right when they haven't played Mathis from Denver yet. <laughs> Maybe they do. Is that matchup coming down? Is it the lead leader in defensive pass interferences? Uh, anybody who plays Mathis from Denver seems pretty much pretty much that way. I went the other. They have, they've had the fewest called against them, is what I meant. But oh, yeah, absolutely right. You, 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 they also haven't had the referees from that Denver. Uh, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's why you know I was. Oh, you're leading in penalties. That seems to be a negative indicator overall. If you that have that big of a gap, that tends to even out a little bit over the course of the season. I, I'm just going to point out. This this kind of flows into the, our second topic of the show. Those refs saved my behind last night <laughs> because those DPIs are the reason why Denver stayed number two in defense and didn't pass Buffalo. And all the tweets I've been doing, which we're about to talk about, about Buffalo being number one in both offense and defense, and all the article I wrote for today, that I wrote yesterday afternoon would have all been moot <laughs> if Denver had passed Buffalo. So I'd like to thank Mathis and I'd like to thank the referees. Remember, we don't root against your team. We root against deadlines. We have our story done. We like those right. stories to continue. Yes. We, we, we root against our own errors. So, well, you mentioned those Buffalo bills and uh, our numbers do match up with uh consensus opinion on that one they're really good and analysis uh, yes <laughs> the bills, Next topic. The bills no. are fantastic the bills are uh so for those people who are i don't know how many people are watching this show who don't follow me on twitter and see follow football outsiders on twitter and see all the stuff we've been tweeting but if you've missed it uh if you're listening to this show and you've missed it buffalo is number one in the league on both offense and defense, which is phenomenally rare. No team has done that in the middle of the season for 19 years, since the 2003 Tampa Bay Buccaneers after week six of 2003. That was the last team to be number one on both offense and defense. So it is, I mean, they're not great, Historically, in either way, they're actually the lowest rated offense to ever be number one after week six, but they're number one. They're the best in the league, both sides of the ball. And just for kicks, they're also fifth on special teams. <laughs> I see what you did there with just for kicks. That's a, that's a very nice touch. Yeah. Um, and they have right now, you know, it's been kind of a little bit wide open, but there's, I think Josh Allen is clearly the MVP front runner right now uh best best player on the best team first in passing db uh passing dr second in dvoa behind two attack of iloa actually which is a surprise uh third in rushing dr behind lamar jackson which is not a surprise and Taysom hill which is but um i'm actually looking up right now steve young must have had some years where he was first in both passing and rushing dr but other than that i don't know if that's ever been done i don't know if um he, I don't know if Steve Young would have led the league in passing value because he usually had fewer pass attempts than other quarterbacks. So he might have led the league in DVOA passing, but not DYAR. I believe that's actually correct. Yeah. yeah. All right. We have uh, 
well, there you go. Two two years on on record where uh, uh, quarterback led the league in passing DYAR and rushing DYAR in the same year. One was Steve Young in 1994, which was his Super Bowl year. The other was Joe Montana in 1989 in his, well, one of his Super Bowl years. So that's the company Josh Allen is keeping, Joe Montana and Steve Young. And that is a good, good, good yeah. company to be in. Yeah, and we felt we, this might well be Josh Allen's Super Bowl year. Uh, the the Bills have by far the, the highest Super Bowl odds of any team at this point in time. It's only 33.6% to win, but it's 336 to win after they're a third of the win probably after a third of the season, which is pretty incredible. There's yeah. only one of other team above 10% at this point in time. The Bills are just light years ahead of everybody. Yeah, the, uh, the Bills-Eagles Super Bowl that I predicted before the season comes out with like 23% of our simulation. Those two teams are so far ahead of everybody else right now. Um, I mean, the Eagles more because of their record. I mean, they're second in DVOA, but it's like the Bills are far ahead of everyone else, and then the Eagles are undefeated, and then everybody else is way behind them. And also, I, I, I probably should check this before I say it, but it still feels like most most of the good teams are in the AFC. Um, after the Eagles, and they just beat the Cowboys, and we'll see what happens when Dak comes back. I know the Giants are 5-1, and one, the Vikings are 5-1, but we're talking about how they're not as good as their record. Tampa Bay is not exactly blowing the league away. Um, the, the, the competition at the top of the NFC seems pretty thin. And the teams yeah. that we think will be good are are scuffling a bit at the moment as well. Like, like it's still possible that Green Bay and Tampa Bay could turn it around. San Francisco may eventually have a healthy football player involved somewhere on the team. But yeah, everyone else is scuffling and the Eagles aren't. And that's letting them get this huge lead over everyone else. DVOA has Dallas high. It has San Francisco high. It's got NFC teams near the top. I think I said this in the preseason too. The the issue between the AFC and the NFC, if you believe our numbers, is less that the best AFC teams are much better than the best NFC teams, and more that the worst NFC teams are way worse than the worst AFC teams. For example, six of the bottom eight teams in DVOA are NFC teams right now. Another way of looking at that, the six easiest schedules remaining by DBA currently are all NFC teams. The Eagles, Falcons, Cowboys, 49ers, Buccaneers, and Vikings all have, have the six easiest schedules remaining. And that's right. because they get to play a lot of those really bad NFC teams. That could be, very well be right. your NFC playoff field right there, plus you know, wh- yeah. plus one other team, because they just, they're, they're good and they get to play all of the bottom feeders. So one way the Bills got to uh, five and one here with this most recent big win over their most notable AFC rivals, the Chiefs, is a uh, very conservative coverage plan, which they they changed. It's not something they usually do uh, when they when I mean, look at how often they dropped eight in the coverage. Uh, from weeks one to five, they only dropped eight in the coverage about two percent of the time, and that that's that's pretty standard because when you drop eight obviously you're only rushing three that doesn't work very well most of the time but against kansas city they dropped eight 36 percent of the time more than one third of the time that's a lot of three-man rushes a lot of deep 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 coverage schemes to take away the big play and uh clearly it got the job done it's interesting because obviously there's a lot of respect for the chief if you have to suddenly change your entire defensive philosophy to do that but it's also a lack of respect i think for the chief's receivers 
because they, the Bills also used a lot more man and stuff like that. They, they were, because obviously the Chiefs have not suffered the loss of Tyreek Hill as much as, say, the Packers have lost Devontae Adams. But when you lose, when you lose Tyreek Hill, you lose the kind of speedster who can, who can get separation on man and man all by himself. The Bills are basically challenging all the Chiefs receivers to beat them one-on-one across the field, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't get separation. That requires Patrick Mahomes to throw a perfect ball to get him to there. He often does because he's Patrick Mahomes, but it, he, he, they, losing Hill has taken away a lot of the Chiefs' margin for error in, in their receiving game. I found it very interesting to see how the Bills shifted and took advantage of that, and it'll be interesting to see how other good defenses play the Chiefs from on. I don't, I don't, I hate when people say, "Oh, they found the blueprint for beating Patrick Mahomes." That, that, that's always an over, uh, you know, an over exaggeration. But I do think that you know the Chiefs' lack of the Chiefs' receivers' lack of ability to gain separation in one-on-one, uh, one-on-one situations is uh is a weakness that I, I think the bills have pointed out and i think other teams are going to exploit on the, for the rest of the year it's similar to what cincinnati did against kansas city in the playoffs last year in the second half of that game they were dropping eight on like every play so maybe it's not the blueprint to beat mahomes but it's the best you got yeah and of course it works a lot better when you're rushing three and one of those three is von miller yes yes that helps I mean, they, they basically signed Von Miller just to beat the Chiefs, and it worked. That's, it that's, that's, that doesn't happen. <laughs> so, of course, the other Super Bowl favorite, as we've been discussing now for almost half hour, the 6-0 and Philadelphia Eagles, highest playoff odds in the league. The last 6-0 and team to miss the playoffs was the 2009 Broncos. It would be pretty historic at this point to uh, for the Eagles to collapse and get out of the playoff field entirely, especially now with seven playoff teams in each conference. And, right. uh, and because they have the easiest remaining schedule in the league by our numbers. Array AFC South. Yep. Uh, they have not, tra- I think we've touched the, the second, they have not trailed in the second half. I think we discussed this paragraph here, haven't we? We've done, done no, we haven't talked about the second quarter Eagles. The second quarter yeah. Eagles are amazing. They are outscoring opponents 112 to 27. That'll do. They are first in both offensive and defensive DVOA in the second quarter. And remember, you can get these quarter-by-quarter splits and a lot of the other splits we're talking about in the FO Plus DVOA database with an FO Plus subscription. That is my weekly reminder to listeners to the podcast and live stream to make sure to get an FO Plus subscription. It shows you just how good the Eagles are in the second quarter, just in case you weren't sure how amazing they've been in the second quarter. And I will add, you can find that information on that by going to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. Do it. Do it now. We have uh, two other teams with a combined DVOA rating of 80% or more in one quarter. The Baltimore Ravens, 81.9% in the first quarter, minus 32.0% 32.0% in the fourth quarter. That's unfortunate. That's a bad trend when you're watching a team play. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, you, you don't want to put too much weight in the quarter by quarter things, but it does, it is descriptive at the very least. Sure. And sometimes when you're very good early on, that's because you're, you, you, have, you have a solid, like you script your first 15 plays and those are working on. And then when you're bad late, that's weird situational football kind of things that you're feeling on. And that was kind of Greg Roman's problem in San Francisco too. The Niners would get out to a lot of hot starts. Uh, and then, you know, when, if things kept being close at the end, they wouldn't always be able to finish this is back when they had Colin Kaepernick and all those kind of, kind of things going on. And 
it's something we've seen before from Greg Roman offenses, but never, never to this extent. The fact that the Ravens have been, if the games end at the first quarter, the Ravens would be like the best team in the league, but uh, they, yeah. they don't end at the first quarter, as they found out. The Ravens are the 40th team in NFL history to have a double-digit lead at some point in all their first six games. 39 of those teams had a winning record after six weeks, and the Ravens don't. That's yeah. Yeah, that, there's bad luck there, but ooh, that they gotta learn how to close out games. DVOA still loves them overall. They're still third overall, and yeah. those quarter by quarter splits are not that predictive. Yeah. But oof, you're right. It's this is pretty Greg Roman problem. Like they're not necessarily that predictive in general. But if this has been a Greg Roman problem for years, then that seems a little predictive. And the other team of note with uh, extreme quarter splits, the Tennessee Titans DVOA in the first quarter, combined DVOA in the first quarter, 81.5%. And then below average in all each of the uh, second, third, and fourth quarters in overtime. AFC South, baby. Gotta love it. Yeah. That actually fits with how I kind of feel about Tennessee, which is like generally they are a bad team, but they have – just enough good players are going to break out once in a while. It just happens, just so happens that most of those breakouts have been in the first quarter. But uh, that, that, that fits, you know, it, it kind of fits with my mindset of where that t- Titans team is. Yeah. And, and when you see huge gaps like that, that's where quarter stats stop being predictive. The, the, the Titans do not magically get worse after the first quarter. They just have gotten lucky in, in a six game sample size. Yeah. So a few other news notes here. The rest we're going to discuss here on uh, what we're calling fourth down. The New England Patriots uh, have a Monday night game against Chicago, and we were discussing right before we went on the air here how this is not the best slate of games we've ever seen for Week 7, but this one could have some history. Yes. Uh, this week, Bill Belichick tied George Hallis for second place with 324 career wins. So he could take second place uh, uh, solo by beating Hallis, uh, sorry, by beating the Bears this week uh, in primetime. Uh, which would be which would be a nice moment for the Patriots, maybe not so much for the Bears fans. He uh, Belichick now needs 23 more wins to catch Don Shula for the most wins in NFL history. This is including the playoffs, and Belichick does have a bit of an advantage there because there are more playoff games than there were in the 1930s or 1970s. Yeah. But a lot of wins are a lot of wins. Yes, yeah, they, they, don't, they don't just hand out playoff wins just because they're there to be taking. Doesn't mean you everyone gets them. You yes. have to earn those. He needs won- 35 more regular season wins to catch Shula in the regular season and 25 more regular season wins to catch Hallis. So we'll see you against Chicago on Monday Night Football in 2025. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder how much Belichick is aware of this is probably the wrong way to put it, but Belichick on one one hand doesn't care too much about all these individual stuff like that. That's kind of the perception you get. Like, oh, it's team stuff. We don't care about these things. But he's also a big history buff. I remember watching the NFL 100 series where he was one of the talking head and he was going on and on about this, uh, you know, all the 30s and 40s players a, who the modern audience might not, not be aware of. We're not playing, we're not playing George Howes this week. We're playing Justin Fields uh, this week. We're concerned with Justin Fields this week. That's, yeah. that's our concern. That he may not actually believe that. But yes. that's what they'll say. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm curious. I would love to, you know, some, to get some truth serum in there and find out exactly, you know, that, how much he cares or how much he's aware, even aware of this. I mean, he's aware of this. Yeah. He's aware. Yeah, he's, he's a big history, history guy. And they, they do carry uh, House's initials on the jersey. The GSH is still on there. So if he beats the Bears, I'm going to count it as beating George Alice. 
just a random, random, random Belichick observation. Uh, Aaron, I'm assuming you saw this, but the, the clip on the sideline this week when the Patriots player recovered the muff punt yes. and then tried to reward that ball to Bill Belichick, yes. who's still calling a game, mind you. Yes. And he turns to his side and scowls, and I'm like, who the hell are you? And he looks down at the football, like, what the hell is this? And just passes off to the side, like, I'm busy, I'm working, get this away from me. I love Bill Belichick, man. He makes me laugh. You don't, you don't care too much about individual plays in win 324, I guess. <laughs> No, and and while the game is still going on, <laughs> this is the key. Uh, and the other uh, one of the other key to these uh, recent Patriots wins is the play of Bailey Zappi, a uh, very surprising rookie. Uh, I have not seen a lot of him, but I can tell you because Brian has done the research. He's the first rookie quarterback to win his first two starts with a passer rating over 100 since. Sonny Jurgensen in 1957, and that's actually very surprising just because the nature of passer rating has it's been inflated so much in the ensuing half century yeah. since Jurgensen was yeah. playing. You know what Bailey Zappi looks like? He looks like Mac Jones oh. in his best games last year. That's what Bailey Zappi looked like this week, looked like Mac Jones. They look like the same guy. I mean, the, the, the quarterback controversy is nonsense, right? I mean, we, we, it's going to be Jones. As yeah, soon as he's there's healthy. a whole, first of all, Jones has the higher pedigree. Second of all, there's a whole season of Jones doing this. Yes. There's basically one game, like Zappi was, like they won two weeks ago, but Zappi wasn't particularly good. There's one week of Zappi being really good. There's right. a whole season of Jones being above average. There's no real controversy here. This isn't like Belichick and Brady, I'm, I, and, and uh, Bledsoe and Brady, where Belichick always, like the reports afterwards said Belichick never fight, quite felt comfortable with Bledsoe and always felt like Brady was underrated and was kind of looking for a way to get past Bledsoe. And that's not what's going on. Jones is his guy. Yeah. Do, do we have any re re reason why... Uh... Belichick refused to rule Jones out until like the last minute of this game, or is that, is that just Bill Belichick being Bill just, Belichick? We're, we're concentrated on Chicago right now. We're just yeah. wasn't we're concentrated just... on Justin Fields is a very good quarterback. You know, Chicago is very good in the kicking game. Um, they have good rookies on defense. We're we're concentrated on Chicago right now. I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> wasn't Brady listed like probable with a shoulder injury for like five straight years? Yeah, I'm not, not yeah. going to. We're not going to answer. Let's talk about Never. Chicago. We're concentrated on Chicago right now. <laughs> is Tyree killed the next Calvin Johnson? Who wants to take that one? Okay, I'll, I'll go for it. Uh, Tyree Kill is currently on pace to break the single season receiving uh, record mark. He's on pace for 1,986 receiving yards, which would beat uh, 2012 Calvin Johnson at 1964. Uh, it helps that he that Hill has a 17th game on the schedule, but still, it's hard to be yeah hard to be this far ahead of pace uh, through a third of the season. The last player to be on pace to break the receiving record after six games was Wes Welker in 2011. So and and Hill's doing this with a rather motley crew at quarterback. You know, he's thank with, you, you thank know, you. like you know, you know, Johnson had Matthew Stafford all year long. Uh, you know. Let's see. It, it's Tua, it's Tagovailoa, it's Teddy Bridgewater, and it's Skyler. It's kind of Thompson. I always forget. Skyler yes. Thompson. Yeah. That is, you know, it's not exactly Patrick Mahomes throwing him the ball anymore. So it's impressive that Hill is doing what he's doing yeah. with what's surrounding him. Yeah, I think that that's the most impressive part of it to me is that uh, I mean, 
Tua is number one in DVOA, I, I, and, and we'll see what happens this week and going forward. I don't, I don't think we expect him to finish in that position, but no. Um, Teddy Bridgewater, we know, is a, is a known commodity. Is a God bless him, a mediocre NFL quarterback. And uh, Skylar Thompson is is uh, an unknown and unknown for a reason. But through it all, Tyree Kill just keeps producing, and he's one of the top receivers in quick reads again this week. Uh, he's in the top five still in overall DYAR and D, and uh, I think DVOA and yeah, uh, he, he's, he's number so one. Many. He's tied with Stephon Diggs, number one among receivers. Even better then, and uh, yeah, uh, that, that, that's showing why Miami w- went out to get him and why he has made such a difference for the roster. I like the next note here. Is Tariq Woolen the next Brandon Browner? Tariq Woolen is the first rookie to have an interception in four consecutive games since Brandon Browner in 2011. I'm going to put a little bit of an asterisk on that. I don't consider 2011 Brandon Browner a rookie because he had played in the CFL for a few years before that. Mm-hmm. But my next Brandon Browner is that kid Mathis from last night. <laughs> because Brandon Browner also led the NFL in penalties for years. Yes. And did you see the kid Mathis last night? (laughs) Why didn't they just throw him every single play? (laughs) They did. He slapped it away. There was like a fourth. There was like a fourth. He got the fourth down stop. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tariq Woolen, uh, Brandon Browner, of course, they both made their NFL debuts for the Seahawks. They're both very, very tall uh Tariq is much faster uh, a physical freak and we'll see um <laughs> kind of the, the 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 Seahawks um corner rotation has been kind of nebulous they're still swapping guys in and out they're still trying to figure out who the starting lineup is but this is a guy who only played a uh, corner for one year in college a converted wide receiver and uh still still very green at the position um and I, I think he's probably going to be a full-time starter the rest of the year and going into 2023 and you know, years beyond that. Um, but another fifth round uh, cornerback steal looks like for Seattle. I mean, it, it, another I wide receiver turned cornerback, right? Sherman was a wide receiver yeah, also. In yeah, but Sherman and Browner were big like Willen, but he has he has speed that they they did not have. So as uh, at the combine, his combine numbers would have been uh, much better than theirs. I, I assume the only reason he was still available in the fifth round is that only one year at the position in college. Um, and so teams were scared off by by that lack of experience, which I guess is understandable. But man, the fifth round is late for for, for a guy with this much talent. It's easy to say that now that he's producing, of course. You know, it's yeah, much easier yeah, to tell someone after it's so awesome. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why more teams don't don't wait six weeks in the season to make their draft picks. Our um, our next one is whether Marcus Mariota is the next Walter Payton. I, no, I, I, I both <laughs> love and uh, There are have been two players uh, in NFL history with two passing touchdowns, one or fewer incompletions, fifty rushing yards, and one rushing touchdown, all in the same game. One was Walter Payton in nineteen eighty three, because there were periods in the eighties where Walter Payton was, in fact, the Bears' best quarterback. Yeah, and the other was Marcus Mariota this week against uh, what was left of the San Francisco 49ers defense. He had one incomplete pass, which is which is astounding. This next note here is even more impressive to me. Uh, this is the list of quarterbacks who have three or more games with more passing touchdowns and incompletions. Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, Kurt Warner, 
and Marcus Mariota. I have no explanation. I have <laughs> it's well as I have I have one I mean one little hint weird uh, uh, thing, and it is, this actually did happen again even in this win over San Francisco. He has a tendency to if there's nobody open, he'll just take a sack because he, there was a trend. I wrote about this many years ago when he was still in Tennessee, but there was a trend for a lot of quarterbacks to have more sacks than incompletions. And he was the flag bearer. So he, if, if there's nobody wide open, he will take a sack or try to scramble. He does not throw a lot of incompletions, but his sack numbers, his sack rate is sky high. He's up around that 10% level we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And I, I, it, it's hard because, uh, you know, I, I've been hearing from Falcons fans about how great Mariota was in that game. And I've been hearing from 49ers fans about, oh, they, they, had, they had no one on defense, so it shouldn't count. And there's a happy medium somewhere in there for how much I mean, credit to give. I don't about. know about shouldn't count, but they had no one on defense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they said that, like, oh, you know, it doesn't matter how good the Falcons are because had, had no one there. There's, there's a happy middle ground for credit somewhere in, in, in this category because you want the Falcons had a, an amazing game plan. They, they took advantage, they noticed the Niners had no one players there and ran straight at them. Yeah, and you have to give credit where credit is due. The Fal- you know, there are a lot of teams which wouldn't figure that out until you know about halfway through a game. I like the, the Falcons, Fort- they're fun. The 49ers have a lot of injury issues. Who could have ever seen such a, a circumstance happening? It's an even numbered year, it's bound to happen. Unprecedented. All right, I'm not buying. Marcus Mariota as the next Walter Payton, but I will absolutely buy Patrick Mahomes as the next Dan Marino. Yes, Mahomes now has the most games with 300 or more passing yards in his first six seasons. Passing Marino. Passing Dan Marino. He's 28 behind Marino for most passing touchdowns in the first six seasons. And of course, for Mahomes, that's basically five seasons, actually four and a half seasons, since he only played one game his rookie year, and we've only played six games so far this year. So Patrick Mahomes is good. Yeah. It's very, very good. Very good. Uh, Monday night football, the next Thursday night football. Yeah. That that Monday night game is – I mean, I'll, I'll give it this. It was better than most of the uh, primetime games we've gotten from the Denver Broncos so far this season. Just. I mean, they're close. They're not blowouts. You never know what's going to happen next. Yeah, Justin Herbert, uh, the second quarterback since 1950 with 55-plus passing attempts and no passing touchdowns in a win. The only other one to do it was 1999 Warren Moon in the peak of the run and shoot and not much else Oilers. Yeah, 91, 91 Warren Moon. Yeah, and just... 30 years ago, for those of you who can't can't count. (laughs) It's a long time. They were... 147 combined penalty yards in the first half alone on Monday night. It's the most combined penalty yards in any first half since 2018. This is the game. I don't want to say it was unwatchable because it was close, but in overtime, they flashed up the, you know, the, the, the usual disclaimer, you know, next team to score wins. And that just felt like a taunt. Because they, <laughs> like 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 Yeah. That game ties. Without that muffed punt, that game ends in a tie. There were no first downs. In the Football Outsiders Discord, there was a poor guy in the fantasy section who said that they, they, were, they were gutted when the, the overtime because their opponents had both Russell Wilson and the uh, Broncos kicker McManus, and they were only up by 0.2 points. So one passing yard from Russell Wilson, they would have lost the game. They won the game. Yep. 
that overtime, I mean, it was an incredible amount of incompetence on both sides. It was, yeah. this was the, this was the division we expected to be setting all kinds of records and be smashing into each other week after yeah. week after week. And it, it was, it's just been awful. One example, we love Brandon Staley for fourth downs, mm-hmm. but Brandon Staley makes some dumb moves. Uh, it's not necessarily Staley's moves, honestly. Um, Joe Lombardi has a terribly designed offense. The end of the first half, I don't know whether this is a Staley decision or a Lombardi decision, but they threw a pass on third and long when Denver had no timeouts left instead of running a draw that would have taken it down to a field goal attempt to end the half. And as a result, they kicked a field goal, but Denver got the ball back with 40 seconds. And guess what Denver did? They got the ball in position to kick a field goal. Like that one decision cost them three points. They got in position to score a touchdown. Yeah, right. <laughs> they can deliver, but they, they yes. Uh, so, so yeah, the, the long pass uh, almost, you know, cost them net minus four points. At the end of the regulation, too, they got the ball back with a minute 51, I think, left in all three timeouts, you know, on their 25. They didn't use a single timeout. They moved 25 yards in a minute and 50. Mm-hmm. There, there is more to coaching than just fourth down decisions. And I love Staley for the fourth down stuff, but man, some of the other stuff that that team does. Pa- Patrick Seeley says in the comments that Herbert is the only top five quarterback who won't make the playoffs in his first three years. And then he's overrated. First of all, they're four and two. I wouldn't say that they're not going to make the playoffs. Second, I'm sorry. I'm still a Herbert stand. I blame this on that team. That team need, first of all, they need Keenan Allen back. Yeah. Second of all, they need a field stretcher. Jalen Guyton was their field stretcher. Not like he's a great one, but at least he is one, and they don't have anything like that anymore. They have all possession receivers. And then their offense is designed as if all they have is possession receivers. My God, they cannot stop running five-yard five pass routes and running back screens. Enough already. Like, d- differentiate a little bit. Like, mix it up. So I, you know, I'm sorry. I'm still a Herbert stand. I feel like they're just not doing him justice. And they may make the playoffs anyway, frankly. There is a reasonable chance that both the teams on Monday night will make the playoffs. Uh, with, 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 with kind of the, the middling state of the middle of the AFC at the moment. They're yeah. both right in this vein. This could be this could be a rematch. We could we could this could have been a playoff preview <laughs> on Monday night. Oh boy. Well, the, well, the, good news, far, but... the good news is. We are halfway through our, our Broncos primetime nightmare. There are only three more Broncos games yeah. in isolated I, I, windows the rest of the season. I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here. The Broncos aren't making the playoffs. Yeah. You're, two you're and four. Right. They're two and four. Wilson's not turning it around. That defense is great. Way better than I expected. They're not making the playoffs. The first it's quarter not- kind of looked like maybe the Broncos the, haven't the turned Chargers, the Chargers at four and two. I think can make the playoffs. That's certainly more likely. I'll, I'll grant you that hundred percent. I mean, the um, the playoff odds report gives them better chance to win the division than Kansas City. Yeah. Because really? we have Kansas City lower, we have Kansas City lower than conventional wisdom because of their defense, mm-hmm. and the Chargers have an easier remaining schedule. Yeah, that's yeah, that a lot of it. <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned easier schedule because we're going to talk about that in the NFC. The six easiest schedules remaining in the league are all NFC teams. We mentioned the Eagles. They have the easiest schedule remaining as they 
pursue their undefeated record. Followed by the Atlanta Falcons, Dallas Cowboys, San Francisco 49ers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Minnesota Vikings. Um, and frankly, if you just told me those six teams were your NFC playoff field with one other wild card jumping in, I would believe you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. MB, by the way, says he has Keenan Allen and DeAndre Hopkins coming back on his fantasy team next week. Congratulations, MB. I also have DeAndre Hopkins in the Scott Fishbowl, so I'm glad to have DeAndre Hopkins coming back. Are the Cardinals going to have any plans for Thursday? Because their starting wide receivers are going to be guys who weren't on the team last week with Hopkins and Bobby Anderson. I mean, they're just, just going to be, like, flinging the ball around randomly. I don't know how much. I, Hopkins knows that offense better than Anderson does. I, my feeling is we'll see a lot more. We'll see more A.J. Green than we'll see Anderson this week, I think. The, the, the first eight pages of Cliff Kingsbury's playbook are DeAndre Hopkins' curl. So yeah. back to normal. And probably an upgrade, honestly. We know you're throwing a curl, but it's DeAndre Hopkins. We're not going to stop him every single time. All right. We have one more stat for the show. Uh, teams have failed to throw a touchdown in 31% of games through six weeks compared to 23% of games through six weeks last year. So if things seem less fun this year, that is why. And it, it, it's just passing too. It's not the rushing touchdowns. That's 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 about where it has been traditionally. Just yeah. the quarterback play overall has not been as good this year as it has been in previous years. No, and, uh, some injuries are some to blame. Uh, we talked about this last week. There's the injuries. Some of the, some of the young players aren't aren't living up to expectations. It's also just random fluctuations. I think things will get better soon. I, I can only hope so. But yeah, scoring's down because passing is down. I like passing. I like scoring. Please have more. <laughs> Chicks dig the long ball. Well, that is going to do it for us here on the uh, FO Data Show, but I wanted to once again mention our friends at Underdog Fantasy. I'm going to remind you all that you can play on Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 with the promo code OUTSIDERS. Even with NFL best ball season over, Underdog has other user-friendly game formats to spice up all their games. You can try their Battle Royale, a six-round best ball-style draft with simpler chances to win than traditional daily fantasy sports sites. Or try their pick'em games, where you can wager on players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines, even in states where traditional prop betting currently isn't available. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy site around, and you can join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download Underdog in the App Store and use promo code OUTSIDERS now to double your first deposit up to $100. I think that is going to do it for the day. I want to thank... Aaron and Brian for joining us. And I want to thank all of you, the listeners, for being part of the show because, frankly, if it's, you're not here, there's no point. Well, that was fun. Let's do it again next week. Let's do it again next yeah. week. I'll be back on Thursday with Mike Tanier for the uh, week, weekly preview, game preview show. Tomorrow at Wednesday, uh, 1 o'clock Eastern, Jackson Roberts and Kale Clinton with the news show. Uh, so, yeah, come back tomorrow at 1 o'clock Eastern. Come back Thursday at 1 o'clock Eastern. Uh, thanks to everybody who likes and subscribes to the show. Thank you, everybody who's listening. Tell your friends all about all of our live streams and podcasts. And uh, thanks for being part of the Football Outsiders family. <laughs>